Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. You can connect with us online at www.gosaintandrew.com. We have Jerry's preaching, so I'm not going to say a lot about the scripture. But y'all, this scripture is not for the faint of heart. It's not a sweet mama who's getting ready to have a baby kind of scripture. It's not, it's Jesus giving it to whoever will listen. He is in full preaching and teaching mode during this part of Luke. In the beginning of the chapter, he's going off on them and how difficult it's going to be before he returns to earth. He even says, the nation will rise against nation and the kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and there will be various places with famines and plagues. Yikes. There's more. I I read it through my fingers. But here's the rest of chapter 21. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in on a cloud with great power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation or drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that have taken place, that will take place to stand before the Son of Man. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. So for our Advent series, we picked a song that will uh, guide us through the next several weeks. It's a, it's a simple song asking God to guide our feet along this road to Bethlehem. So let's sing together.
guiding our feet into the way of peace. You will guide our feet. You will guide our feet. You will guide our feet into peace. Let's sing that once more. You will guide our feet, you will guide our feet, you will guide our feet into peace. Beloved, will you join me in thanking these musicians? Join me. It's a blessing. Thank you. It's a gift. It's a wonderful gift. All right. Well, Happy New Year. I know right, right now half of you are thinking, what, what, what did he just say? And the other half of you are thinking, well, bless your heart. Simultaneously, all of you feel confused and awkward. However, today is a special day. Today is the first Sunday of Advent and initiates a new year on the liturgical calendar of the church in a very special season of preparation, contemplation, and indeed celebration. The season of Advent is one of my favorites. The four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's an ancient story about the inward spiritual journey that we all must take if we're ever to find this God who has appeared in Jesus. This year, we will make this very special journey together as we begin our new sermon series, Road Tripping to Bethlehem. Together, we will travel across the spiritual landscapes of our lives and our world through spaces of chaos, forgiveness, emptiness, wisdom, wonder, until we arrive at last in Bethlehem and there stand in awe of God, beholding God, beholding us in love. As we shall see, there's only one way to get there. We must go through the sea, the river, the desert, the hill country, the fields. The promise of God goes with us as we journey through them. The presence of God awaits us just beyond them. In the presence and form of a little child wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. You feeling a little less awkward? I hope so. I hope so, because I'm about to mess all that up with this scripture reading that we just had today. I mean, if you felt a bit uneasy um, before, uh, you really feel uneasy now. And, and if you don't feel uneasy and confused with the text today, I'm not sure you were paying attention as Rev. Lauren read it. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud in power and glory. Yeah, try dropping that one next time, says Mary. Some, next time somebody says Merry Christmas, just drop that little ditty on. See, see what happens. 
I mean, the text is it's part of a larger block that begins in verse 5 of chapter 21, and it, it goes into a genre of writing called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic comes from a term, apocalypse, which simply means revelation. Perhaps most familiar to us is the name of the last book in the New Testament. The apocalypse are the revelation of John. However, other Old Testament writers such as Isaiah and Daniel utilize this literary device as well. In fact, many are surprised to find that many Jewish writers and other ancient Christian writings outside of the Bible employ this literary device. As a kind of literature, apocalyptic deals with a revelation or a series of revelations which discloses the supernatural world beyond the world of historical events. The focus is always, 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 always on the end of time as we experience it now in the beginning and announcement of a brand new world. It's interesting, right? I thought so. However, it still doesn't answer the obvious question. What does any of this have to do with Advent? What does this have to do with Christmas, preacher? Well, I mean, like I said, if you felt awkward with Happy New Year, you probably still feel that way. And I get it. I get it. I truly do. Our thoughts have already turned toward putting up the Christmas tree, decorating our homes, and over the course of the next week, even right here at St. Andrew and with Christians around the world, we will gather in special worship services and concerts, and everywhere you go, there are reminders that Christmas is coming. Frankly, on the first Sunday of Advent, I'm sure we would all just rather hear a nice, quaint message about Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. But the words that we open with on this first Sunday of Advent, well, they're, they're shocking, unseemly at best at the opening of this season. Even if one brackets this with an expectation that you know, this be a time of happy socializing in order to, you know, begin the preparation of contemplation, repentance, remembering the birth of Christ, all that, even then, one may be left wondering what this strident end of times imagery and language is doing here on this day. And oddly enough, the shock that we feel when we reveal the first lesson may give us our first lesson from the text. And that is, is that we all need a wake-up call as we begin the Advent journey. I mean, let's be honest. Like the laundry in your house or the leaves on your front lawn, your Christmas to-do list never seems to end. Yes? So the text today, in a way, might be shouting at us. Pay attention. Don't miss out on the coming of a Savior. Through the reading of our lesson, you can almost hear the alarm clock ringing, calling us to get up, get ready, prepare. There is an amazing journey ahead, a spiritual awakening for all of us. As I thought about the text this week, too, I have to admit that I appreciated the author's unhinged honesty in the words that he wrote. There will be signs in the sun, he says, in the moon and the stars, and on the earth distress among the nations confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. The Hebrew word for sea is yam. Yam, it means a noisy, pounding surf. I prefer the Greek, right? In the Greek, it's, I love this word, hekus, hekus thalases, the roaring waves, kaiselu, kaiselu, hekus thales, roaring waves, kesalu, and waves good word. Throughout scripture, I have to tell you, though, a lot of people don't know this. In the ancient world, the sea was a symbol of chaos, death, evil. The sea was an unpredictable, tumultuous landscape, hiding leviathans and, and other hidden dangers. It, it was a place that represented a perpetual barrier to peace and freedom. 
And using this ancient cultural assumption can help us peel back new layers of meaning, I think, throughout Scripture. Perhaps when we read about God parting the Red Sea as the Egyptians flee to freedom from the Egyptians. Maybe we think about those times in a boat where Jesus calmed what? The raging sea in a storm. Perhaps it brings to mind the image of a storm-ridden sea, and what did Jesus do? He walked on the water of the sea. It is why the image of an anchor or a boat was one of the earliest symbolic representations of the church. It was a symbol that signified a place of peace, stability, and promise amid the turbulent realities of life. And beloved, we can all relate to that realism. All of us. I mean, life is oftentimes messy. It is stressful. It is an anxiety-ridden journey of ups and downs. We all know this to be true. I found a funny meme on the internet this week. It read, it's important to get a good night's sleep so you can fully experience the quiet despair of everyday existence. (laughs) It's funny, I know, but disturbingly, I think at times it's an honest assessment. It's an honest assessment. And you know what? We need to be honest if we're going to get the most out of this Advent journey thing. We need to be honest about the world and the realities that we live in, about the landscapes that we journey through. As I thought about some artistic imagery to relate the tone of the text, I I kept coming back to a very familiar painting. It's Vincent van Gogh's One Starry Night. The painting exhibits the bold colors that van Gogh is known for, the style that made him famous. A lot of people don't know that van Gogh was actually the son of a Dutch pastor, and for a time, he was an evangelist to the poor. So maybe he was familiar with the words that we read this morning. The painting depicts an apocalyptic sky like the one described by Jesus. There are swirling clouds and bold yellows and white on a deep black blue sky. The moon is bold and bright, surrounded by glowing stars. And in the background is a small little town with a a church steeple as its most prominent feature. And the foreground is this foreboding flame-like thing connecting the earth and the sky. It is a painting that elicits different reactions from those who gaze upon it. Some see it as a daunting image. It incites fear. Others as something bold and beautiful and new. And still others as a glimpse of God. And I think like Van Gogh's masterpiece, the scripture lesson today elicits different reactions from those who dive into its roaring seas of words and imagery. It is frightening. It is bold and upfront. And most importantly, it is a beautiful glimpse of the divine. As difficult as it is to hear, as troubled as the text makes us feel, if we dig hard enough, there is an invaluable treasure, a gift, that will provide us with the strength to move forward as we take this journey. And that is a message of hope and assurance. It's funny, as turbulent as the sea may be, the sea retains a mysterious quality. 
A quality that calls out to us, that beckons us to go out into open water. We're, we're afraid of it, but we want to go out into it at the same time. And if any of you have ever stood on the beach and watched the sun rise or the sun set over an endless ocean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's something out there. It's just beyond. Something waiting for us on the other end of the horizon, yes? Something calling to us. The early 20th century theologian Karl Rahner, whom I love, called this beyond, the transcendental horizon. Ah, love that word. He said it was the place of the divine. It is a place that calls us, a place filled with hope and beauty and all promise. It is a place, literally, where God resides. And everyone who gazes upon the horizon, he says, feels the weight of that truth. Rana writes, In the ultimate depths of his being, man knows nothing more surely than that his knowledge, that is, what is called knowledge in everyday existence, is only a small island in a vast sea that has not yet been traveled. It is a floating island, and it might be more familiar to us than the sea, but ultimately it is borne by the sea, and only because it is can we be borne by it. Hence, the existential question for the knower is this, he says, which does he love more, the small island of his so-called knowledge or the sea of infinite mystery? I love that guy. I mean, for Rahner, the ultimate choice that we all must make in this life is this. Will we orient ourselves towards hope and promise? Or will we remain on our little bitty islands, distracted, paralyzed by fear? I've always been drawn to the words of promise and courage embedded in the close of the opening paragraph of the reading. Now, when these things take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to make sure this thing is on. This thing is working, right? It's a promise, but it's easy to miss, I think, because these things refer to those foreboding signs in the heavens and the earth and the distress and the tumult among the people, the powers in the heavens shaking the coming of this apocalyptic son of man figure in the text. It's fearful. It's fearful indeed, enough that people will faint with fear and foreboding about what is coming upon the earth, it says. Faint with fear. Sometimes I just think folks would just rather hear the preliminaries of the Christmas story. Come on, preacher. Maybe an angel announcement, maybe a song of transformation, maybe a dream, royal decree, but clearly not people fainting from fear and foreboding. It's a weird verb. I'm not sure I'm up to foreboding. I'm not sure that we really forebode anymore. Do y'all do that? You know, I forebode today. It's a weird verb. And yet, there it is. It's going to happen. And yet, Jesus tells his disciples to stand up and raise your heads. Why? Not, I think, because this is code language or some secret sign that the end of the world is nigh and all the faithful believers are you know, going to have the best of all, all worlds right around the corner. I, I think it's because 
as it says, even though heaven and earth will pass away, my words will not pass away. That's a promise. That's a promise. Beloved friends, I have looked, believe me, I have looked, and I can tell you that across the board, Jesus promises not to abandon his disciples amid the tumult and trauma of the world, but to be with them, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to equip them, not merely to endure the challenges of the day, but to flourish each and every day. Jesus' promises, now I want to be clear, do not eliminate fear or hardship from the lives of those who follow him, then or now, but rather create courage and the ability to be faithful, to retain vision and compassion and empathy, even when we're petrified. Which means, beloved, that even amid the tumult and trauma of our current age, we are not helpless. We are not helpless. While we await Jesus' complete redemption, we have good work to do in the meantime. And we undertake the work of being Jesus' disciples in the world. The work of compassion for those who are hurting. Encouragement for those who are afraid. Solidarity with those who are oppressed. Forgiveness for those who have wronged us. And acceptance of all God's people. Emphasis on all there. And we do all this not because we believe our actions will change the world, but because we know down to the marrow of our bone that Christ's resurrection has already changed the world. We act, that is, in confidence that the promises of Christ are trustworthy. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This past week, as I sat pondering the meaning of this text with my good friend, Rabbi Joe, the good rabbi reminded me that every lament, our apocalyptic text in scripture, old and new, always, always, always ends with the word of hope and promise. And I did some checking, and he was right. Whether it's a short or really long one, lament or apocalyptic, always, 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 ends with the word of hope and promise. And I thought a lot about that this week. I think that despite some frightening images, the text of Luke offers us not fear, but hope and expectation. God in Christ is coming because God loves us, because God wants to redeem us. Stand up, he says, raise your heads. You know, it's funny, it's a natural instinct that when things are going bad, when there's a difficult time, what, what do we want to do with our heads? Right? It's like those kiosks in the mall, right? Don't make eye contact. <laughs> it's a natural instinct. We just we want to do that, right? And yet, in this difficult moment, he says, raise your heads. Look up. Be strong. Be courageous. Trust. Have confidence, he says. And I wonder if there's one more layer to that. I wonder if there's one more direction to gaze in. I wonder if there's an around. Go ahead, look around. Look around. Look beside you. Look behind you. Yeah, just look around. Get uncomfortable. Right? And as you do, think of those words. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down. So that you don't miss it. So that you don't miss him. It's a question we all need to ask every day, I think. Do you see Christ all around you? Every day? 
in every moment? Do you see Christ in the people around you? Those you love and those you don't. Those you know and those you have yet to meet. Because that's the amazing thing about this season, I think. There are glimpses of the kingdom that appear when you least expect it. There are sightings of a savior in the twinkling of eyes, in the hesitant thank yous, in the gasp of wonder, in those moments where you open the door for somebody with their hands full, in the quiet moments spent with loved ones, peeking glimpses of the divine, shining forth as we move in mission to serve others, to feed them, to clothe them, to let them know that they are loved, that they are seen. In the late night conversations of a family scattered dealing with the crisis, there's fear. But there are also prayers of hope and love, an embrace of peace, and it can bring tears to your eyes if you pay attention and look around. So friends, this is the word I leave you with as we begin this Advent journey together. It is a word of hope and enthusiastic expectations. Here on the shore, looking out at the sea, allow me to invite all of you to get in the boat. I cannot promise smooth sailing. Our sure straight paths. It's going to be rough out there. So rough sometimes that you're just going to want to get out of the boat and turn around and go home. But the good news of Advent is not simply that Christ is coming, but that his coming means that we can hope despite all that is falling apart around us in our lives, communities, the world, we can hope. Just as the leaves on the fig tree offer hope in late winter that summer is coming, so God's word in Jesus' promises offer us a new life and an unyielding hope to drive us forward towards that transcendental horizon. So come aboard. Come aboard. Be strong. Be courageous. There is work to be done. Stay alert and focused on the promise that waits for us, that calls out to us. Let us begin the journey together, upright and steady, holding on to and supporting each other. May all of us who have come to this beginning on this day leave with a commitment to use this Advent to prepare for God's kingdom breaking forth as we await a radical and earth-shattering welcome of the Prince of Peace, a little bitty baby and a risen Savior. There's more to come, so much more, more hope to be revealed just beyond the horizon. And it all starts right now, in this moment. So climb aboard. Let the journey begin. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. And if you'd like more information, go to www.gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.